2: Welcome into another edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am Rob Stats Carrera alongside Zane and Levin. Welcome in. We are brought to you by the QBSneak.com. For accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to QBSneak.com. And guys, it wasn't always pretty, but a win is a win is a win. The 49ers edge of the Cardinals. They're nine and one on the year. And Zane, I'll start with you. Blood pressure rose, but in the end, Jimmy Garoppolo got it done.
3: Sent out a few raised tweets, you know, and and put my feelings out there. Probably should control that, but in the end, Jimmy got the job done. It was frustrating to watch, really frustrating at times. And it was one of those games that was a gut check game. I'm not surprised at all that they came out flat given the emotional battle against Seattle, the loss the week before. But hey man, like you have to win these games. Good teams win these games. They find it they find a way to win. Teams will always be giving your best up until the end of the season and in the playoffs. That's it. You're going to get every single team's A game. There are no more easy games left on the schedule. This last stretch is the stretch we've been talking about all season. It's a stretch that everybody was circling, saying that they needed to really hunker down. But getting that win against Arizona last week was so important because now it puts you in a position where you're still atop the NFC. You're still atop the division. He's a little bit of breathing room. You didn't hand a division to Seattle on on their bye week, which is great. And in the end, you get a little notch in the belt for Jimmy, too, right? He was able to put a game-winning drive together. Kyle Shanahan fixed the game management issues that he had from the week before. And we have another Victory Podcast, guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah, another Victory Podcast. Uh, Like uh, Stats said, not pretty, but it got the job done. I do think that this will prove to be a very huge win. Because with all the injuries that are piling up, and we'll get into this in greater detail here in a bit, but with all the injuries piling up and the schedule coming down, I think we're going to need everyone we can get.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned the injuries. I mean, at this point, it's comical. The 49ers leading Russia, Matt Breida may not play. The leading receiver, George Kittles, not, may not play. We don't know. His status is up in the air. Debo Samuel, the second leading receiver, his status is up in the air. Emmanuel Sanders may not go because he's got a rib injury. D. Ford is going to be out for a couple of weeks with a hamstring injury. Joe Staley had surgery on his broken finger. He's still not going to be active for this game. Um, Emmanuel Mosley got banged up last week. I mean, the 49ers are the walking wounded here, Levin. Uh, yeah, some of them aren't even
1: walking, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, if none of those guys go, I, I don't know what they're going to do for offense in this game because you, you don't have your top two receivers. The only guys left, other than them, none of them have stepped up. Bourne's had a you know he he'll go score a touchdown and then you'll have the biggest mental error anybody has all game and he does it consistently and then the other guys Pettis and Goodwin have been complete no-shows this season so I I don't know what their plan is there and there's not even any Calvary coming because it sounds like Hurd's not going to play this season and Taylor's already been said to be done this season so I don't know what the Niners are going to do but I think the main thing right now is to make sure they get healthy for the end of the season because with nine wins, I mean, even if they go two and four, they're going to be 11-win team, be in the playoffs. I think health is more important now than wins just because of the position there. You want to win every game, but
3: you also don't want to go into the playoffs still banged up. I think they made that very clear when Kittle was sitting the last two weeks. He probably, he probably could have gone, honestly. If it was a playoff game or something. He probably would have gone this past week. He seemed like he was moving pretty well. He said he was feeling really, really good. He said he really wanted to go, and I think that they just wanted to hold him out for another week just so he'd be healthy for this this stretch of game, starting with, with the Packers, which we'll get into in a little bit. But guys, I want to talk about what happened with Arizona and, and specifically on offense. Let's start there. And the running game was totally stifled, and I think that the the Cardinals two weeks ago – on that Halloween game, gave a blueprint for the rest of the league. They're, they're stacking the box. They were the first team to stack the box the majority of the time and send blitzers the majority of the time at the 49ers. And they were pretty successful that night stopping the run game. And they were pretty successful on Sunday stopping the run game as well. The Niners didn't even rush for 20 yards. And really, they became one-dimensional. And and they, they kind of scraped by with what they had. And, and the first half of that game was really just them playing catch-up, going down 16 points and the offense not really finding a rhythm. I think that what you're going to see going forward is is a shift in theology from Kyle Shanahan in terms of how he runs his offense. But can we really count on the run game going forward, especially with Breida Hurt?
1: No. <laughs> not unless those tackles get healthy, and even then, I, I don't know because I didn't like what I saw out of Staley when when he was uh, playing in that one game against Seattle. But the weirdest part to me is that there, there's almost no creativity in the run game, and that's Shanahan's calling card. I mean, I was watching the game on on Sunday and sitting there. I could predict the plays. Okay, this is going to be a run, you know, middle left, stuff like that. They're very predictable. They're pretty much saying exactly what they're going to do. And they're not even – I can't remember more than two or three pitches to the outside or true end-around runs that have been where the Niners have really racked up their yards in the run game. He's mostly running the team right through the tackles as if they're a power run game, and it's not working. Teams are just blowing it up, and it's because they're stacking the box, like you said. I don't really get why there's no creativity there. I don't know if Shanahan knows something that we don't know about those replacement tackles where they're just not capable of getting out to space, but it's very odd to me that the run game that they've been calling lately.
2: Yeah, I totally agree, and and now it's basically like follow use check, and that's pretty much where the run's going to go. Uh, you know, I saw Joe Thomas, the the former Cleveland Browns tackle, talking about the Shanahan system. He said it was his favorite system that he ever played in, and the thing he liked about it, he said, as an offensive lineman, you rarely were just straight up man-on-man, man, hold your block, and let the running back go past you. You were always moving. You, you'd block a guy for a little, then you'd get off him, try and get to the second level. And he said one of the things that that did was it took offensive linemen who maybe weren't the most skilled guys and it let them be very effective in that system. But if Kyle's not running that system, they don't have the interior offensive line to be able to hold up on those runs up the middle like we've seen. And they're just getting mauled and it's really just bogged the offense down. And I credit Kyle Shanahan, who said in the post game after the game, basically in the second half, he just decided, you know what? We're not going to run it. He... He adjusted to what was happening on the field and even though i thought there were a couple spots where he should have run it credit to him for saying look my game plan this week is just not going to work if we're going to win we got to do something different
3: i think part of it is just the running backs aren't healthy enough uh had been banged up and now breed is banged up they had to call up jeff wilson who had that fantastic catch and run at the end of the game to win the game his only play of the game that was his only snap of the game, and he boy did he make it count! What what a what a play call by Shanahan at the end. Fantastic, fantastic drive at the end. But the I, I really don't like when they get down early like that, and we've seen that adjustment drive from him many times. And the thing is, is that when you get to the playoffs, and this team will make the playoffs, we know that they they will get to the point where points are going to become at a premium, and you can't just have an adjustment drive where you're allowing them to come down the field to see what they're doing. And I think that that's a lesson to them that hopefully they can tighten up as this, as the season progresses towards an end um, and into the playoffs. But I just, I just really wish that they would come out with a sense of urgency uh, on defense uh, in this game against green Bay. I, I think that against Arizona, they got lulled to sleep a little bit. Kyler Murray's a, a mobile quarterback. They struggled, but it comes down to your offense, helping your defense. They went three and out. So Arizona gets a field goal first his drive. Offense goes three and out. Arizona goes back and gets a touchdown. Offense is not able to get anything going. They go get another score. It's like your offense really has to keep the ball moving. And I think that Kyle Shanahan really started to understand that, look, we don't need to necessarily run the ball to get those short yardage kind of gains that we need to keep the chains moving. He started throwing a lot of screen passes, which is what I, I was screaming for them to do against Seattle because they were rushing upfield the entire game. But he, he those blitz beating screen passes basically to everybody. And he absolutely killed the Cardinals with that, and I think you're going to see more of that going forward, aren't we, Levin?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, it's very alarming the defensive starts to games because at some point it's going to bite you, and in the playoffs you likely will not be able to get away with it. I, you know, there'll be a game where where your season's over because you didn't come out prepared. But there is a, a flip side to that and that's that this defense adjusts very well. And credit to the defensive coaches and the players. I mean, they've made some adjustments on their own too that they've mentioned in the past, but they seem to be a defensive staff that can adjust on the fly very well, and that tends to bode very well for defense because it's one of, I think, the underrated aspects to coaching, especially in the NFL, because they do have to adjust so often because there's so many quality coaches in the NFL that there's plenty of games where you go in and your initial strategy is not going to work and you need to adjust on the fly because the other teams found something they can exploit either defensively or offensively and the top coaches are able to adjust on the fly. I mean, it's Bill Belichick's arguably his biggest calling card is his halftime adjustments and this defensive staff has done an excellent job at adjusting on the fly.
2: Can I just say, too, that I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a problem very soon in this division. I think as soon as next year. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury, you can say what you want about him. He does, you know, he's got his flaws, but he knows how to coach against the 49ers. This is, this is two games now this season where the, the Cardinals defense has given the 49ers all they wanted on offense. And Kyler Murray moves the ball against this offense. He does. He doesn't rack up a ton of passing yards, but they're effective. I mean, especially when he started scrambling in the second half. He's got nobody really around him, and he's moving the chains consistently. I think the Cardinals are going to be a problem in this division maybe as soon as next year. And
3: honestly, I I look at it, I think the Rams have the worst quarterback in the whole division. (laughs) Yeah, Jared Goff has been really struggling a lot, and I was like, what happened to that guy? But to your point about the Cardinals, I think part of it is that the Niners, they – Look this did, nobody expected them to be where they are right now. I don't we know, none of us expected that. Like to be 9 and 1 and on top of the league. Nobody expected that. They were still maybe a year away from really contending and and it happened a year early and and we're not complaining about it cuz it's awesome, but I feel like another offseason where they can address things like receiver and get a no, a dominant uh nose tackle or defensive tackle in there to sit uh next to Buckner or Reece on Armstead really it just, it'll, it'll help them so much more. They can fill those small little holes that they have left, but you can see teams starting to exploit the the weaknesses on the defense, right? Like specifically Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, right? Like the last three weeks you've seen them. And the good thing is, is that you don't see another running quarterback until Lamar Jackson. But even after that, you don't see another running quarterback till the last game of the season with Russell Wilson. So uh, there are more, there are less of those guys and more pocket passers. So I'm not, too concerned about that, but it's one of those things that you know come this off season they'll probably need to address it. Now that being said, the injuries that you talked about earlier, stats like it's it just unbelievable. It seemed like every single play there was a starter going down, and and Mosley went out, and I was like, okay, they're going to test Witherspoon right away, and they did, and he held his own. So it's just one of those things where if you're missing like a guy like D Ford that has to be a, a linchpin on your defense, how do you replace that? They're already missing Ronald Blair, who's out for the season with a torn ACL. Now you're missing D. Ford. Uh, they signed Jermontre Moore, who had that who had that forced fumble uh, in, in that big moment in the fourth quarter, basically put the game away. But it's like at some point, your depth is going to run out, and and I really hope it's not going to be anytime soon. I really hope that these guys can come back healthy, and you're getting guys back as opposed to most losing guys. But really, I mean, can, can injuries really derail the season, guys?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely can, and you're already seeing some of those effects. I mean, the offense shuts down when. Sanders is not out there, and Kittle's not out there. Debo did step up this game, and thank God he did because there's no way they win without him uh, against Arizona. But also, you, I think you saw the effects defensively, too, if you truly watched the game. I think if you look at the box score, you, you would think, well, it seems like the defensive line held their own. But in reality, they were giving up some runs, which is to be expected playing the wide nine. But there were a lot of times where Kyler Murray had plenty of time just sitting there in the pocket, and nobody was getting to him. And I think that's the effect of losing this depth. The guys are having to play more plays than they have been because they've had that healthy rotation where guys are coming in and they're fresher than the offensive linemen who have to be out there every play. So you're already starting to see that effect because I don't think the defensive line was as dominant as they were even the first
2: time around against Arizona. And I think going forward, what that means, too, is that the 49ers' offense, they're going to have to start playing complementary football more They need to protect the ball more. They can't have, and I decided I'm going to call him Jim Garoppolo, who appears once or sometimes twice a game out of nowhere at any time to commit one of the dumbest turnovers you've ever seen in your life. They can't have Garoppolo turning the ball over twice in the red zone. The defense, like you said, those guys are on the field for longer, and then you're giving the ball away. You're putting the defense sometimes in a a quick turnaround situation you got to give them time to rest up on the sideline. You need to sustain drives so that you can play complimentary football and, and have your defense be at its best
3: when it's out on the field. Yeah. That, that first interception from Garoppolo was bad. That was so bad.
2: It was hideous. Bad. No, it was, it was disgusting. You could freeze frame that and not see a 49 er in the picture.
3: Yeah, it was pretty inexcusable. And I think that he had Kendrick born in the flat or he could have taken the sack and they got it. They could have got a field goal there. And, it's just he makes one of those throws, one or two of those throws every single game, where it's just right to the other defender. I'm like, Man, did you just not see them? And what like what what were you thinking? And he had the second interception, which was tipped off of Dwelly's hands way behind him. And it was it would have been better if he just didn't even try to catch it and just let it go over his head. It would have been just an easy field goal for that. But I think that it starts and ends with Jimmy now, now that they've shut down the run game, opposing teams shut down the run game. It's going to be a lot of eight-man boxes. It's going to be a lot of blitzes coming at Jimmy. They're going to test him, and it's going to be on Jimmy to get the ball to his receivers, and it's going to be on the receivers to catch the damn ball. Like Dante (laughs) Pettis played one snap in this game. He played the snap that basically won the game, and Marquise Goodwin had one catch and then dropped his only other opportunity on the last drive of the game. So, Really, these guys are still having those problems, and and Mostert dropped a crucial fourth down pass early in the game. That that hit him in the face. Right on the money, and I don't think that Garoppolo could have placed it better. I just think that the reason, part of the reason why, and, and I'm not trying to make excuses here, I'm not trying to rationalize, but I'm saying as a fact, part of the reason why he throws so many interceptions off the tip balls is because there's always defenders around his receivers. He's throwing in tight windows. That's how he was coached up in, in New England. That's how he learned. That's how he plays. Now, if you're a receiver, catch the damn ball. Don't let it get tipped up to another guy because there's always going to be guys around them. If you look at the way New England plays their offense, the receivers aren't running wide open down the field. Brady's only in tight windows. That's how that's how they learned up there. And that's what Jimmy's going to do because that's how that's how he's been groomed. So you're going to see more of that in, in throws in a tight windows and throws that are risky. It's just one of those things where I really hope that the receivers can do their part and catch the ball.
1: Right. And that's, to me, the amazing part that Jimmy Garoppolo is still a is completing nearly 69% of his passes this season that have that completion percentage and that amount of drops by his receivers. is truly amazing. I mean, if his receivers even catch the average amount in the league, he's probably over 70% complete. And that brings me to a question I want to ask you guys, because I asked it on Twitter and that's if I told you this was your 16 game quarterback, these were what he's going to put up for a season. Would you take it or would you want to see what's behind door number two? And those stats are sixty-eight point eight percent completion, three thousand nine hundred eighty-five yards, twenty-nine touchdowns, sixteen interceptions, and only five hundred and seven total attempts. Would you take that if I told you at the beginning of the season this is what your quarterback's going to do? Don't forget 100%. the record too.
3: The record as well, right? <laughs> well, like <laughs> I don't.
1: The whole point is not to have the record involved.
3: Okay. Well, still uh, I would, would you take that? Yeah, I take the stats for sure. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, you, you. I mean, how could you not say what 49ers quarterback has done that since Steve exactly. Young retired? Maybe Jeff right. Garcia.
1: So everybody's criticizing on Garoppolo in these turnovers, which certainly he deserves some criticism. But th- that's what he's on pace to do this season. Those are the exact stats he's on pace to do this season. And I posted it as a poll on on uh, Twitter and purposely didn't say it was Garoppolo, even though it was painfully obviously <laughs> obvious it was because I'm posting it and I'm tagging you know, the 49ers web zone Twitter account. But out of th- almost 350 votes, 90% said yes. So really, why is this such a big controversy? He's clearly playing well enough that
2: 90% of people are happy with what he's doing. The thing, I, I it crystallized for me watching this game because the, the two interceptions were terrible and we've talked about those. But I feel like the the narrative that's come out of Jimmy Garoppolo, I feel like has has appeared because all of the worst things that he does appear in highlights, the inaccurate passes, the interceptions, the missed throws. None of the best things that he does show up in highlights the sticking in the pocket when there's people all around him, they're standing in tough getting drilled to make a throw to an open receiver, the game management, the shuffling in the pocket to use his feet to extend the play. None of that stuff shows up in the highlights that we always see. And so the narrative of Jimmy G is, well, in a big spot, we don't know what he's going to do. Look, he should have had this many interceptions, this many bad plays. And when you actually go back and watch – the games and watch them slowly and and with a focus specifically on him you see all the good things that he does it's just they're always overshadowed by the more prominent mistakes that he's made
1: well not only that but i think the contract plays into this he Mm -hmm. had that big average year dollar amount that at the time became number one in the nfl so a lot of the people from the outside the national media are saying well he's got to be a superstar then He's got to play like an Aaron Rodgers. He's got to play like a Tom Brady. And I don't think that's exactly fair because, one, that's nowhere close to the top contract anymore. I mean, what is it, fifth, sixth in the league now in average per year? And obviously they front-loaded it, so he, he's – I don't even know the number this season, but he's nowhere near the top in terms that's- of what he's paid this season and for the ne- rest of his contract. He's nowhere near the top. 90%. I mean – Jared late. Goff is way up there towards the top. So, I mean, <laughs> be careful what you wish for because Jared Goff is playing much worse than Jimmy Garoppolo this season. Like you said, he's probably the worst quarterback in the division. So, I, I think that's a lot of the narrative is that he got this big contract when he was unproven for the most part. So, everybody in the national media said he's got to be a superstar. I'm going to criticize him because it's
3: a, it's an easy thing to do. Yeah, he's got actually got the 21st uh highest salary this year in the, in the NFL. So all those people that are like, Oh, well he's getting paid like a superstar. He's not, he's not, he's getting paid like a, a bottom of the league quarterback. So uh, at least for this year. So the first thing that people should know about NFL contracts is that they're not guaranteed. You see the number that they signed. They never get that amount. They never get that full amount unless they restructure, get bonuses or they'll have times where they are released or have to take pay cuts to have other guys be able to be signed. The, the whole thing about NFL contracts is such a, such a farce. The numbers that you see, that's never actually what they get. So to me, like to look at the the price tag and be like, Oh, he's, he should be playing like a superstar because he's get, be, getting paid 127 million. He's not going to get 127 million. People don't realize that. And on top of that, he's not being paid like a superstar. They front loaded it. So now he's getting paid less than most of the quarterbacks in the league. So he's a, he's, the equivalent of a second-year quarterback. That's how I look at him. And Kyle Shanahan is trading him that way, and I really like it. And the end of that game, the way that he was able to make throws easy for Jimmy and the Jimmy being able to make those throws, the way that they handled that two-minute drill was so good. It was so fantastic. It was what I wanted them to, to do the week before in overtime against, against Seattle. They, the, the last throw of the game, actually, I don't know if you guys heard this, Jeff Wilson said that he didn't even see Jimmy throw the ball. Like, he didn't see the ball until it was almost on him. And Jimmy Mm -hmm. said he didn't see Jeff Wilson. It just goes (laughs) to show you those things, like you said, stats, that people don't see in highlights, but that that we see here because we're local. And I do want to say on that last play, (laughs) I find it hilarious
1: because I don't think it's gotten almost any attention. But what was Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, calling? I mean... We, we all made light of the Solomon Thomas in deep coverage in, in that preseason game this season, but he took the NFL's sack leader, a guy that they were talking about during the game, is one of, I think, only he and Reggie White have, what, five seasons of 10-plus in a row sacks or something like that? I can't remember the exact stat, but he's leading the league in sacks this season. And instead of him rushing and trying to get to Garoppolo in a game-deciding play, They have Buda Baker go on a blitz and they have Chandler Jones drop into coverage on Wilson. Guess who got burned in coverage because Mm -hmm. he's a defensive lineman and Jeff Wilson even talked about it that he knew he was watching Chandler Jones before the play and right before the snap he realized Chandler Jones was going to be covering him and he knew because he's a defensive lineman he doesn't have the hips to make a sharp cut and go laterally so he made that sharp cut and that's what won the game.
3: Yeah. So speaking of winning that game and making a big play, let's reward the guys that made the big plays in the game. Let's go game balls. So I'll go first this week. And this guy played, he played one snap. He scored the game winning touchdown and he scored it on his birthday, which was even more really cool. Uh, and he's just a touchdown machine, five, five touchdowns this year. And, uh, Every time they give him the ball, he scores, right? It seems like it. So Jeff Wilson, come on down. Come get your game ball. Really, really great way to make your presence known. They brought him up for the game to, due to the injury for, to Matt Breida. He's played well in his limited time. I think he's going to be with the team, obviously, for a couple more weeks before Breida gets healthy. Jeff Wilson gets my game ball.
1: All right, Stutz, you can go ahead and go since you know you're sitting on a game ball since you didn't give one out last week.
2: <laughs> That's true. Well, I'm definitely giving one out this week. And to me, without a doubt, the, the game ball on offense, I got to give it to Debo Samuel. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders tried to go. He really couldn't go. Kittle obviously isn't there, as we've talked about. And Debo answered the bell time and time again. Eight catches, 134 yards, averaged almost 17 yards per catch. He made that he got credit for, I should say, that ridiculous catch on the sideline where the ball popped up with Patrick Peterson was draped all over him. I mean, Debo did not play like a rookie in this game. He played like somebody that the 49ers expected when they drafted him. And, and at least for one Sunday, it paid off.
1: All right. Well, I kind of want to pick a defensive player just because you both went offense. But I don't really think there was a super standout defensive player in this game. I mean, I, I could do Mosley because he got hurt and came back in and he did it, have a pretty good game. But I mean, there wasn't any super great defensive play or anything in my opinion. So I'm going to pick another offensive player and I'm going to pick Dwelly. I mean, he scored two touchdowns filling Mm -hmm. in for Kittle. He only had, I think 13 yards, but he was still a big factor in this game. And he's been a Swiss army knife for this offense, playing fullback, playing tight end, going back and forth. So I think he deserves some mention here.
3: All the touchdowns will score by undrafted free agents. Well, actually I shouldn't say that. DJ Reed scored the last one which was uh really bad for Vegas <laughs> betters. but I'll take I'll take the points, right? So that's that's great. They're the number 2 scoring team in the league the Niners are. So take those points to solidify that. So now moving on to Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is coming to town. And I am a huge Aaron Rodgers fan. I loathed the day that the Niners passed Sacrilege. up Aaron Rodgers. Yes, that they they passed ah. up Aaron Rodgers and they picked Alex Smith, which I mean I like Alex too, but man, how different would things have been if, if Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback in the Niners now? That's neither here nor there because he's on the Packers now and he's been a Hall of Famer since he got there. So he's coming to town and they've got Aaron Jones, they've got Devontae Adams, they've got some weapons, they've got a better defense than they usually have. And this is a huge game. If the Niners lose this game, Green Bay leapfrogs them for home field advantage in, in that first round bye. So guys, I mean is this the year that the Niners can finally really put it on Aaron Rodgers? I know they beat them several times when Kaepernick was here, but is this the year where they can really like put a feather in their cap with, with a signature win against Aaron Rodgers?
1: I hope so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I,
1: mean, right. I I think, I think it's an uphill climb in this game. I really do. Cause just with the circumstances of it, uh, with green Bay coming off a buy and the Niners so banged up. I mean, this is going to be their eighth straight game and they've, they haven't really had a routine either because they've played on Thursday. They've played on Monday. You know, They haven't been able to fall into a routine, and now they're going to be playing Sunday night football. So uh, I don't know. if it, I, I sure hope so, but this is going to be – I don't know. I, I would probably say it's the toughest game of the season. Seattle obviously there, but I think Green Bay is a better team than Seattle.
2: I don't know why I feel this way, but when I think about this game, I actually feel confident that the 49ers defense is going to be able to, I don't want to say completely shut down, but I don't think the Packers offense is going to run wild in this game. Uh, I'm so relieved to see a quarterback that's less mobile than Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, and I think people are forgetting how good the 49ers pass rush is when they're facing a quarterback that's not just an athletic freak. I know Aaron Rodgers can still move around and extend plays, and he's going to do some of that. But I think that the defense is really going to get after him and really going to rush him. And I think that the 49ers defense is going to force a couple turnovers in this game where I worry is offensively with all those guys out, where is the offense going to come from? Because Kyle Shanahan going to be able to scheme some things open, but I think Jimmy's going to have to make some tight windows. And like I said before, he cannot turn the ball over.
3: And we're gonna talk about that and a lot more with Levin, your old college roommate, Ryan Wood of the Green Bay press Gazette Packer's Beat writer, he was your old college roommate, and uh he was uh gracious enough to join us on the show this week and it's really cool man he's like he's got like a check mark and everything man like how you're hanging with you're hanging with really important people Levin
1: well, in a different life, I was a journalist uh, so you know uh he was we were at at the student newspaper at the same time, so that's where we got to know each other and then we were roommates out of actually complete randomness. There was an apartment complex that, uh, he was looking to, uh, get put into a random apartment with a couple of people. And because we had similar interests, they ended up selecting my apartment out of random chance, but yeah, we were roommates.
3: There you go. So without further ado, here is Ryan.
1: All right. Now we're joined by Ryan Wood of the green Bay press gazette been covering the Packers for the last six seasons. Actually, I guess, uh, old college roommate of mine and i guess at this point i do mean old how you doing wood
0: yeah we're, we're we're both uh got some years on us now since we were at ball state now it's good to be chatting with you it's uh, a little different usually we're f- talking about the fighting cardinals so a little different this week
1: yeah it's probably been all what good 11 12 years since we did a show like this together but we used to back in the day
0: we did. Those are some good times, too. Yeah, no, know. I think what we had a trip to Toronto, Canada once. Yeah. And, uh, Mobile. Yeah, no, we, we had some good times. Yeah, Mobile, that's right.
1: But, yeah, we're going to jump into it uh, with, uh, obviously, the 49ers and the Packers facing off this week. Uh, two of the top teams in the NFC. And I'm going to start with the head coach, since he has such strong ties to this 49ers regime. You know, Not only is he a Shanahan disciple, but this is actually something I only learned yesterday when I was researching, but LaFleur's first job in the NFL, Salah was actually the one that helped him get it, the 49ers defensive coordinator. I guess they're pretty close friends. I'm not sure if you are aware of that, but with that, you know, he's obviously a Shanahan disciple and he knows the defensive coordinator very well. Do you think he has an advantage or do you think he has a disadvantage because the other side knows him so well?
0: Well, you're right. He, he's very closely knit with this 49ers staff. Uh, Salah is one of his best friends. Kyle Shanahan, too, was, was a guy who was on that Houston Texans staff uh, back in 07 and has kind of always been with Kyle Shanahan. Um, he's ever been as much of a Kyle Shanahan guy as a, as a Sean McVay guy. Um, usually in these situations, the advantage goes to the teacher over the pupil. Um, but it's so... It, the 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 connections this week go so far beyond just Matt Lafleur. I mean, Mike Pettin, when he was the head coach at the Cleveland Browns, hired an offensive coordinator named Kyle Shanahan. So Kyle Shanahan's worked for Mike Pettin. Nathaniel Hackett and and Robert Salah uh, worked together in Jacksonville um, when they, they were both with the Jaguars. Um, and obviously Matt LaFleur's brother, his little brother, Mike LaFleur is the receivers coach, um, with the 49ers. And Matt LaFleur was very interested, as you can imagine, in hiring his brother for his staff, had a prominent job for him. And Kyle Shanahan thought very highly of Mike LaFleur and blocked that, wanted to keep him on his staff because he thought he was a very good coach. And, um, so, you know, Matt LaFleur said today that, uh, he, you know, he, he talks to Kyle Shanahan all the time, but usually when he's talking to Kyle Shanahan, it's when he's FaceTiming his brother, and the Kyle Shanahan happens to be in the same room because, uh, you know, they're working together, and this it's very informal their, their relationships. I mean, it very personal their relationships. So it's it's going to be very fascinating to see how that does play out. Um, you know, when 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 the Packers hired Matt Lafleur. He had Mike Pettin on his list of defensive coordinators that he wanted to, uh, to to keep on staff. He 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 came into the interview wanting Mike Pettin to be on his staff, and that recommendation came straight from Kyle Shanahan. Um, so uh, certainly was a guy that gave him advice early on. He got recommendations on on certain guys, Mike, Mike Pettin being uh, the most prominent one from Kyle Shanahan, um, these guys go way, way back and it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how, how this all unfolds on the field.
3: Now, Ryan, speaking of relationships, can you speak a little bit to what's going on or what, I guess the progression has been between Matt LaFleur and, uh, and Aaron Rodgers' relationship? Can you kind of talk about how that's progressed? We heard whispers early on the season that they weren't getting along and maybe there was some friction there. Has that changed at all as the season progressed? You know, there were some things
0: I think they had to work out in the beginning. Aaron Rodgers is a guy who his repertoire at the line of scrimmage before the snap is so much more expansive than pretty much any other quarterback. I mean, Tom Brady's up there, obviously, Drew Brees, but there's very select few guys in this league at that position who can handle the autonomy to to operate at pre-snap at the line of scrimmage. And this Matt LaFleur offense, very similar to the Kyle Shanahan offense. It's predicated on a lot of busy commotion before the snap, a lot of motions before the snap. Um, There's a lot to do before the ball is ever put in play. And so how does does that mesh? How how do you have those pre-snap motions with the ability for your quarterback to make audibles and, and to use that? Institutional knowledge that he has from over a decade as a starter in this league at obviously a very high level. Um, that frankly, it's something that they're still working out. I mean, this team leads the league in delay of game penalties. There's a reason for that. It's, it's something that is very much a rock and a hard place. And they've, you know, going into the bye last week, Matt LaFleur was very honest and said that. They've got to figure out the, pre, the pre-snap operation to make that cleaner. Another part of that is that this is an, an offense, very again, like Kyle Shanahan's, that is really based on a lot of diff- different personnel groupings, a lot of guys coming in off the sideline. Um, and when you do that, it just adds another thing, another element before the snap. So uh, that's something that they've had to work through. But the bottom line in this league, you guys know this, when you're winning, things are good. And when you're losing, they're not. And a year ago, this team was not winning, and things were not good. And the reason can you, – you have several reasons, but it really all boils down to the fact that they just weren't winning. They, they didn't win consecutive games all last year. They won on the road only once. This year they're 8-2. and two. So it's bound to be better when you have more success. It's like any place, any, any environment in, in professional life, when things are going good at work – you're happier to be at work. When they're not going good at work, you don't like being at work. That's in this league. It, it, it's winning and losing. When when you're winning, things are going good at work. So it, it, as long as they keep winning, the relationship's going to be just fine. And if if they start losing, that's when the adversity enters, and that's that will be a real test for their relationship.
3: Yeah, winning is the best deodorant, right? That's that's what the That's how the old saying goes. Everything is fixed when you're winning. So staying on Aaron Rodgers, do you feel like he's kind of Approaching that MVP level or or that that elite top three quarterback. I mean, in my opinion, Aaron Rodgers is a top three quarterback. He's one of the best to ever do it. He's one of my personal favorites as well. But do you feel like he's kind of approaching that level again after a couple of years of being a little bit subpar by his standards?
0: You know, he's really really good. What he's done this year is he's he's made a lot out of very little around him. This team is just is not deep when it comes to targets in the passing game. Their their best receiver especially considering Devontae Adams missed four games throughout the course of the season, the best receiver has been Aaron Jones. I mean, Aaron, Devontae Adams, when he's healthy, when he's right, is an elite receiver. He's a pro bowler, but, but he missed a month with the turf toe. So the fact that you know, their, their, their passing game when Devontae Adams was out operated out of the backfield, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, uh, and, and he's played at this kind of level is, is really telling for the, how, how well he's been able to execute now. He's not 2014 level, you know, that, that he won the MVP that year. He's not 2016 level. He's not 2011 level. Um, the best I've ever seen him play was the second half of 2016, the, the run the table season when he got this team really single handedly with a really bad defense that year on the doorstep of the Super Bowl before getting blown out in the NFC championship game at Atlanta. Uh, Matt LaFleur being on the other sideline then in Kyle Shanahan as well uh, for those Falcons teams, but this, this is, he's playing really well. There's no question about that. He, he's carrying a, a large load on offense. Now he's gotten a lot of help from Aaron Jones, but, um, I, he, he's not as mobile as he used to be. You know, he, he's, he's lost a step in terms of speed. I think if you watch him down and down out, um, that's probably the biggest difference, but the arms there, the accuracy's there, his ability to read the field is, is obviously still there. And for all those reasons, you're seeing guys, I mean, at the receiver position after Devontae Adams, they've got a bunch of undrafted guys. Jeronimo Allison, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling was a fifth-round pick, uh, but Jeronimo Allison was was undrafted. Gary Shepard is no longer on the 53, now in the practice squad. He, he, he is an undrafted guy. Alan Lazard is an undrafted guy who was released a year ago by the Jaguars. So there's not a you know this isn't the 2011 Packers receiving core where it had Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley at tight end, Randall Cobb, the, the, James Jones. The, the, the depth is, is not there anymore, but Rodgers is still finding a way to make it work. Now,
1: obviously the team is much more than just Aaron Rodgers, and I want to talk about the running back. Obviously Aaron Jones has had a very good season. He's leading the league in rushing touchdowns with 11, and Jamal Williams has been a pretty good uh I don't know if you would call him split carry truly, but uh, he's done well too and been given opportunities. But the part I want to talk about is is Aaron Jones in the passing game because we saw three weeks ago when Aaron Jones had that big receiving game and he had 159 yards. And I remember you posting on Twitter and I actually saw it talking about how far along he has come as a receiver in that running game, as a running back. But he followed up that game with, Back to back games where he's been a non factor in the passing game, I think he has a actually negative one yard the last two games for Green Bay receiving wise so where do you put him as far as a receiving back is he really a good receiving back or is he just kind of capable of catching a
0: dump off he's good with the ball in his hands and any way that they can do that whether it's a carry whether that's a touch through the passing game he's a playmaker when he's got the ball in his hands now those last two games where his production and the receiving department has diminished, coincide with Devontae Adams working himself back into the offense. And as good as they were for those four games without Devontae Adams, the reality is he's obviously their best receiver. And when this offense has a chance to get truly special is when they're able to do both. They're able to do the stuff out of the 21 personnel with two backs that they were able to do without Devontae Adams on the field and still have a Devontae Adams who went for over 100 yards in the first quarter Against the Eagles earlier this season, uh, being a dynamic player, uh, player in the past game. They, they were able to get pretty close to that. You know, Devontae Adams had over hundred yards uh, against the Panthers last time they played and they were still able to have their, their running backs be awfully productive. Aaron Jones had three touchdowns against the Panthers. Um, if they're able to build on that and going into the bye probably helps with that. If they're able to build on that and have both clicking, that's when this offense can really be at its apex. Uh, Now the difficulty is being able to maintain both. And and the first game back for Devontae Adams against the Los Angeles chargers coincided with their worst offensive showing since week one against the Chicago bears. And it it really wasn't a coincidence. I mean, I I think that it it was more of a challenge than they thought it would be having him come in back into the offense when things have been going so well. Um, So the, it's it's the balance that they've got to kind of strike there, but uh, it, it's it, Aaron Jones. Just he didn't get the opportunities in the scheme uh, out of the out of the backfield as a receiver the past two years. His first two years with Mike McCarthy, um, they really developed that over the course of the offseason when they realized, hey, Aaron Jones is, is a playmaker. No matter how you get him the ball, give him the ball in the passing game, he, he'll make plays. Um, and they they worked in stuff, especially out of that twenty one personnel. Um, to be able to facilitate that. And it's, it's really paid off for them. And it's something that going down the stretch run here, the final six games, plus the playoffs, it's going to be part of their offense.
3: So as 49ers fans and, and the people who are kind of scoreboard watching and standings watching, everybody saw that chargers game and were like, what the heck happened there? And obviously we, we don't get Packers games here and, and we don't, we don't see what happens every single play, but what happened in that game? I have to ask, like, because we looked at that and we're like, okay, that's an easy win for the Packers. Rogers is going to roll all over them, and it just seemed like they just never got going. It kind of gives Niners fans hope, to be honest, <laughs> that, that they can have uh, a similar sort of thing against the Packers this week. But I mean, it just seemed more like an anomaly than anything, didn't it?
0: Yeah, I think anomaly is a good word for it. It, it was a complete and utter no show from a team, uh, uh, on both sides of the ball, it was a no show from a team that had been. Really rolling going into that game, and sometimes that happens in this league. Um, you'll get a New Orleans Saints losing at home against the Atlanta Falcons, who were one and seven at the time. You know those those types of anomalies do happen. Um, the way that they were able to bounce back against a decent Carolina Panthers team. Now, obviously, the Panthers got creamed last weekend, but this is a, a Panthers team that came in hot um obviously also lost big to the 49ers but um the the way that they were able to bounce back going into the bye I think is is important because it gave them some momentum going into the bye uh I I think that again it was pretty tricky to work in their top receiver their top playmaker really uh over the course of the past couple years uh into an offense that had been rolling without him and how do you how do you juggle that And, and it's something that I think they they went a long way to figuring out last week, but the question is, can they do it again? Can they be consistent and build on that, or is that also an anomaly? Um, and the sample size is just too small to really know one way or the other. That's a big, from a Packers standpoint, that's a big thing that's going to be learned this week is whether they can't build on what they did offensively against the Panthers, having both of those, those things clicking. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, if they're able to do that this is going to be a dangerous offense if not you're going to see some some you know some panicking i think uh it, the second half especially against the chargers with the way that that game went they basically ditched their entire game plan and just went with 11 personnel the entire second half which is not how this offense operates this mm-hmm. offense operates with like any other offense i mean the 11 personnel is important when you got your three receivers on the field but there's a lot of too tight a lot of too running back and mixing and matching all those personnel groupings, they they didn't do that the entire second half against the Chargers, um, it, it wasn't it wasn't their offense. They didn't. They basically just didn't run their offense in that second half. Um, they did last week, and they looked a lot better.
3: So flipping over to the Niners and how they're kind of viewed, we've heard a lot from the national media here in the Bay Area about how. The Niners are perceived, and how Jimmy Garoppolo is perceived, and the strength of schedule, and the defense carrying them, and, and whatnot. How do how do the Packers and the Packers fans perceive the Forty Nine ers? Is it similar to what the national audience kind of views them as? It's like, oh, these guys are kind of just playing a soft schedule, and when they play the big boys like the Packers and the Saints and the Ravens, then they'll come back down to earth. Is that the same sort of sentiment that we get from Packers fans over there?
0: You know, I I think that when you look at the conference, and this is this is a ridiculous conference usually when you start 8 and 2 or 9 and 1 as the 49ers and the Packers have done you're you're afforded some semblance of breathing room you can feel good about it i mean there's five teams in this conference with at least eight wins mm-hmm. um, it's it's not just top heavy it's also deep so i i you look at those five teams the 49ers are very much the new kids on the block i mean the other four packers and Aaron Rodgers Drew Brees the Vikings, who were at an NFC Championship game just a couple of years ago, and the Seahawks, who have been good for most of this decade, the, the, the 49ers are, are, are the comeback team of the year. I mean, they go from four and twelve to what they're doing this year. Um, so I think that there's a little bit of let's wait and see how good this team really is. They're obviously good, or they wouldn't be nine and one. But as you guys know, the schedule down the stretch is just brutal for the for, for the uh, 49ers. So mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be really interesting how they handle that the second half of November and then all of December. Um, but when you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, you've got a system that's been proven to work, and Kyle Shanahan's, um, you've got the defense clicking, especially the defensive front for the Niners clicking. The way it has been, there's a lot to like about that team as well. And uh, you know, kind of like Matt Lafleur said today they're nine and one. You can't look past that. I mean, they, you don't get to be nine and one in this league unless you're really, really good. And the, the Niners are really, really good. Now, some,
1: I actually learned in, in doing my research here with, and shocked me about green Bay's. They're eight and two, but they've been outgained by their opponents by almost 300 yards this season. That, that to me was shocking to be eight and two and be outgained by your opponents to that degree. But you mentioned off air, uh, before we started recording that the Packers are one hundred percent healthy with them coming off the bye week, being able to fix whatever issues they've had scheme wise and be fully healthy. Do you think that's something that should be reversing course or do you think that's something more representative of just how this team plays?
0: That's a great question. You know, they're not a dominant eight and two. They're eight and two, which you know like being nine and one. You're you're good if you're eight and two, right? But it's not a dominant 8-2. They've done it on a defense that really is very much bend but don't break. Defensively, they've generated a ton of big plays. They get after the quarterback with the Smiths. Both of those guys, Zadarius and Preston Smith, are playing at Pro Bowl levels. Um, but that over aggressiveness can, can burn them sometimes too. They've given up a ton of explosive plays, which is where a lot of that yardage comes from. Um, they've been really good in the red zone defensively, and that's why, uh, you've, they've been able to overcome a lot of that yardage and, and their their scoring defense is actually pretty good because they are bim but don't break. And when teams get into the red zone, they're not always getting into the end zone. But the, the, the explosive plays they've given up defensively is really the, the big thing they've got to figure out. It reminds me a lot of the 2014 season when they finished 12-4, and four, they had a bye, they went to the NFC Championship game, they were by every measurable unit a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender but there, there, there was that but that that kind of trailed them throughout the season and that year it was really shoddy special teams play that entire year you're thinking in the back of your head boy this team's good they're winning they could win it all but this special teams could really come back and hurt them and what happened in 2014 Special teams was literally the reason why they didn't go to the Super Bowl because with two minutes left, they boshed an onside kick. They also gave up a in that NFC championship game against the Seahawks, uh, a special teams touchdown on a fake field goal. Special teams came back to hurt them. The explosive plays is the special teams of this season. It, it, they're winning by any measurement. They, they've proven themselves to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but that, that, that butt is, is, is trailing them throughout this season. And, and if they don't figure it out when when they're going against elite quarterbacks in the playoffs, that propensity to to give up the explosive play could be the the hindrance that keeps this team from going as far as it could. So it's it's a big thing they've got to figure out. It's going to be a challenge this week against Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan, and that offense. Um, And and it's it's going to be really interesting to see if they were able to fix that with their self-evaluation over the bye.
1: Now we'll wrap this with one final question. I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you do a prediction, but I do want to ask how important do you think this game really is? I mean, obviously it's two teams that are going, could be fighting for playoff seeding and head-to-head could be a, a tiebreaker there. But also Green Bay is like like we mentioned fully healthy. San Francisco is definitely not there. really piling up the injuries in recent weeks and you got Minnesota lurking right there. I believe they're 8 and 3. Would you say this is a very important game or just a game you would like to win?
0: No, I think it's usually important and, and for one reason. Like I said, you know, obviously the five teams in the NFC with at least eight wins, it's been like this for a while now, past several weeks, but it's all about seeding at this point in the conference. The 49ers and the Packers are both going to be in the playoffs. That that that's going to happen. The question is if they have to play in January, where do they play? And this goes a long way. I mean, they, the, the Packers that they win, leapfrog the 49ers. Uh, they'd both be 9-2 and two identical records, but they'd have the head-to-head tiebreaker. If they lose, they're effectively three games back because they'd not only be two back in the standings, but also that, that third game being the head-to-head tiebreaker. So it, it, the Packers could, could be theoretically in first place in the conference after this week, or they could theoretically be second in their own division. And the difference, obviously, between having home field advantage throughout the playoffs, especially at Lambeau Field, to being the fifth seed and having to play a a road wild card game, either in Philly, in Dallas, it's such a huge difference. This this is a a game that the Packers need to win, the 49ers need to win because of of the the playoff implications, the seeding implications down the road. Um, I I think it's a hugely important Week 12 game. And you never know what's going to happen after this week. But there's a tangible swing uh, for the, that the winner of this game takes out in, in terms of how it could factor into the seeding uh, come January.
1: All right, Ryan. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on. I know this time of year is uh, very hectic for you with practices every day and, and all that, but I do want to appreci- thank you for coming on and taking some time of your evening just visiting with us and, and kind of filling us in on what's going on in the Packers world.
0: Absolutely. Take care, guys. It was great talking with you.
3: Thanks, Ryan. And thanks again to Ryan Wood for joining us. Guys, I am kind of in between the way that you both of you feel. I feel like part of it could be an uphill climb, but also in in Stats' church in his pew right next to him saying that, you know what, I think that this is one of those times where the Niners' defense will be in a comfort zone because – They're playing at home. They're playing against, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is all world, but he's not a mobile quarterback, uh, more of a pocket quarterback. They'll get George Kittle back. Hopefully Emmanuel Sanders, hopefully will play. He'll he'll, he'll hopefully give it another shot. So I think that they're getting some guys back. Uh, It's another week of, of McGlinchey getting used to the the game speed again. And Jeff Wilson again is going to be a factor. Hopefully Kyle you was a factor against the the Cardinals, which we didn't really talk about, but guys, I, I think that, This could go either way, but I mean, I think that they have a pretty good shot here.
1: Yeah, it really is a tough matchup. The the thing in this game that really worries me is I think they match up well with the 49ers. They've been pretty good about getting getting after the quarterback, but really, to me, it comes down to green Bay can run the ball. And we've seen the Niners are struggling to stop the run, and teams are figuring that out. And Aaron Jones leads the league and rushing touchdowns. Jamal Williams has been very good and getting, I think he has around a hundred carries this season. So he's been playing a decent bit too, but the pairing of those two is really a, a tough matchup for any team, but they really, I think are the type of runner that does well against this Niners defense. So I, I really worry about this game, especially if green Bay gets that fast start that teams have been getting against the Niners, because if they get up in this game, I really like the their chances of grinding it out and running that clock and limiting the Niners' chances to come back.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. If I'm Kyle Shanahan and you happen to win the toss, no deferring. Take the ball. Try to go down the field. And don't try to you know establish the run first. Pass the ball. Use the screens. Use the short passing game. Use Kyle Juszczyk, who we didn't even mention. Fullback gets seven catches last week. Career high for him. I mean, he bring something to the offense that nobody else has use him get up the lead early because i agree Levin. positive game script for the 49ers will be huge in this one and i i just i don't have any faith in that packers defense that in a big spot they're going to be able to stop san francisco i just hope that the game can get down to a big spot
3: yeah it's going to be up to the offense to really help the defense the last couple weeks they really put them in in really difficult situations by Either turn the ball over in the red zone, not getting points out of it, or turning the ball over deep in their own end, as we saw against Seattle. The thing with the Niners offense is that and and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but the Niners have the, the they have more turnovers than they do games played in terms of uh having shannon as a coach. I'm not I I, I, I correct me if that I'm wrong that wouldn't stun there. me at all. Yeah, it's just no, that, I would think so. They turn the ball over a lot. Kosh Shannon offenses turn the ball over a lot for some reason and that's really what scares me is that that's that's these are the things that can kill you against good teams and it killed them against Seattle, although they were able to get able to get it back a few times, but it killed them against Seattle, killed them against Arizona, and I, I really like I, I just don't see it getting any better. Like they keep Jimmy keeps throwing picks, they keep fumbling the ball. Like it's just one of those things where they have to tighten that up if they want to be able to beat these teams. And again, we're gonna hear it again the entire week. Oh, this is a big test. Can Jimmy do it? Can they beat uh, uh, a, winning, a team with a winning record last week against Arizona was, was a fluke. They should have lost that game, yada, 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 all that stuff. But really, it comes down to stopping the run. Like you guys said, like if they can stop the run and if they can establish some sort of either quick, short passing game or the run to be able to control the clock, control the change, control the game, then they'll have a really good chance of making this game you know, like a, a two-score game at the end right? Like that's really what their, their MO was at the beginning of the season. They would control the clock. And at the end of the game, the defense would play a, a just about half of the snaps that the offense played. Right. And those guys were able to stay fresh. It's no coincidence that guys are going down because they're having to play more snaps. Now, really what it comes down to is just, you have to limit Aaron Rodgers's opportunities. You can't be like, okay, well, we're going to give him the ball at the end of the game. We're up one, but we're just not going to run out the clock. We're gonna give him the ball at the end of the game, leave it to our defense. You can't, you can't do that against quarterbacks like that. You have to win the game when you have the chance, and I really hope that it doesn't come down to that. Everybody hopes it's going to be every game is a Niners blowout, and I hope it is, but it's probably going to come down to one or two possessions, and that's going to be the, the, the case the rest of the season. You can't – the margin of error is so thin when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers standing on the other side of the field. It doesn't matter who he's surrounded by because when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback across the field from you, he can make things happen with players that – you may not even heard of. And we heard Ryan say that, is that Aaron Rodgers hasn't had too much around him this year and he's been able to make plays. He's thrown two interceptions the entire year. He's thrown a total of four the last two one-plus years, the last year and a half. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and this this day and age when you're throwing it every down, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, one- I think... Sorry. Uh, I was just going to make a quick point that I think the key to this game is being able to run the ball offensively for the 49ers because Green Bay is not a very good defensive uh, team against the run. They're 25th in the league right now. But the Niners have also, we've talked about it before, their run games completely disappeared. If they can't run the ball, I, I don't like their chances. They've got to run the ball in this game.
2: The one thing that I, I think about, because I still think with the Packers, I think that there is still a, a sort of feeling out process going on between Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. And the, with the 49ers, I mean, it is solid as a rock. You hear guys in the locker room afterwards saying, look, when Jimmy G's in the huddle, you just look at him and you know we're going to get it done. And they all love playing for each other, and they love playing with Shanahan. Even when the team was losing, they love playing for Kyle Shanahan. I don't see that kind of same unity with Green Bay. And I think because it starts with the head coach and the quarterback, I think if the 49ers can get up early and the defense can frustrate Aaron Rodgers a little bit, I just wonder if we see some of that friction between the head coach and the quarterback, and, and maybe Rodgers gets frustrated and it throws him off a little bit.
3: That was a problem earlier the season and it really it really kind of came to a head and they were still winning, but Aaron Rodgers, you can you could see visibly that he was upset with LaFleur and they weren't getting along and there's a couple of times where they where they were just like exchanging words and things like that. The cameras caught it on the sidelines. But winning, like I said, winning is the best deodorant and they've been winning and all those issues kind of were swept swept under the rug. And you don't have to get along with guys to be able to produce a winning championship team. And we've seen that with, with countless teams in the past. But That being said, the Niners really have to – they have to come out better than they did against Arizona. They they have to. You can't put together that performance that you did against Arizona because Aaron Rodgers will put 28 on you in the first half and not 16 because he's that good. So I really think that they'll kind of try to set the tone defensively. They're not really going to bring pressure. They don't do that, but they'll try to set the tone defensively with the guys up front. D4 is not going to play. We know that. It's probably going to be Demontre Moore – Salmon Thomas and a, a mixture of other guys, kind of shuffling in and out. But really, if the Niners don't turn the ball on, uh, over on offense, they'll have a really, really good chance to salt this game away early. And that kind of takes us into our predictions. And I went first on game balls, so I'll let you guys choose who goes first. I'll be I'll be diplomatic here. Who goes first here?
1: <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I, I I guess I'll go. Uh, good luck following this one up, guys. Because. I've picked the Niners 10 straight weeks. At some point, i got to pick against them, and I think the deck, is just, the deck is just too stacked against them in this game. I mentioned now this is going to be their eighth straight week playing. Meanwhile, Green Bay is coming off a bye, but it goes further than that, as we've talked about. The Niners are decimated with injuries right now. I mean, no Debo, potentially, no Kittle, no Sanders. What are they going to do, as, as we've talked about? And, and defense is banged up, too. And then on the other side... Green Bay is one hundred percent healthy. They have all fifty three guys available. I just don't I don't see it. I think this is one of those games that the Niners need to rest guys and get them healthy because they need to get one of the next two on the road. And I'm gonna say that it's gonna be Green Bay twenty seven, Niners seventeen.
2: Yeah, as much as I'd like to disagree with that. I mean the health the health issue just It can't be overstated. I think the 49ers are deep, but this is just, I can't remember a 49ers team that's been a good 49ers team that's been as banged up as this one. I think the defense will be able to keep Aaron Rodgers in check, but I just don't know offensively what's going to make the, what's going to make the chains move for the Niners. So I'll take Green Bay as well. I'll take Green Bay 23-13 in this game.
3: Oh, ye of little faith. Oh boy. It looks like one of us will be right or two of us and some of us will be wrong this week. So I'm gonna go Niners. And the reason why is because I think that you're really seeing a transition with Kyle Shanahan as a play caller. Different team teams go through different sort of identities as the season goes on, right? It's a long season and, and you don't really keep the same identity all season. Part of it's because of you find out what's effective, part of it's because of injuries like the Niners are having right now, and part of it is because you start to understand your roster a little bit more and their limitations. And I think Kyle Shanahan is finally starting to understand the limitations of this roster and, and where he can push them and where he can't. And to me, the end of that Cardinals game, I think it's going to be a watershed moment. We're going to look back on this season and be like, wow, that was a real big turning point where they could have lost two in a row after losing to Seattle, really emotional game, but they didn't. They dug deep. Jimmy threw the game-winning touchdown pass, and then it was lights out after that. Like they were just all full speed ahead after that. And I think it's going to be one of those moments that propels them throughout the course of the season. And, and I'm going to go Niners. I'm going to say that they're going to win. I don't think scoring points is going to be a, is, is going to be a problem this week. I don't trust I'm with you guys. I don't trust that Packers defense, but they're going to get back Kittle. He's probably going to play Sanders will probably play um, McGlinchy, As I said, gets another week Um the, the running game. We'll see what happens with that. But I think that Kyle has learning with the screen game to, to, to offset that. So it's going to be Niners twenty eight, Packers seventeen, and wow. hopefully I'm right this week, and hopefully the Niners go to ten and one.
2: Well, there you have it. Zane's waving the pom poms, and Levin and I will be right next week. But you know, it's all right, Zane. Everybody, you know, takes it. takes a loss <laughs> once in a while. It's fine. I took one earlier this year. You know, so did I, I, did I so the right. Niners and they won. That's going to do it for this episode of the 49ers Web Zone Know How to Podcast. Just a reminder, we are brought to you by TheQBSneak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to TheQBSneak.com for 11. And Zane, I'm Stats. We'll see you next week.